0: Non-conference play is officially in the books and A-10 conference play is right around the corner and we could not be more excited. Welcome back to a special edition of the A-10 Talk podcast. My name is Daniel Frank. I am joined by the one and only KG Kaylee Godek alongside Jacob Munch and Zach Austin. How is everyone
1: doing tonight?
2: Doing great. I'm excited for conference play to get going and we can really learn how these teams truly play against the important competition.
1: Yeah, conference play... Has already started up for four teams, but the real realm of conference play is now actually starting up December 30th, this upcoming Saturday. But there's actually like a fun fact I want to quickly throw out here before we start up with the actual podcast. So um, this podcast is a women's edition podcast. So at all everything and anything women's basketball is being talked about tonight, as well as our regular season and tournament champions from the past two seasons. So, the regular season for the 21-22 season was Dayton, and the champions of that was UMass for the tournament. And then for the regular season in 22-23 was UMass and Rhode Island, and the tournament champion in 22-23 was St. Louis. None of those three teams li- or four teams listed, excuse me, are currently sitting in the A10 Talk Women's Basketball Power Rankings in the top. Five, which is actually very intriguing, considering the fact of Rhode Island still being on the stronger side, but having a few small hiccups. But I'm going to actually turn it over to one of our Rhode Island correspondents in the women's side, Zach Austin, to kind of break it down a little more for us with what to really expect from Rhode Island.
3: Yeah, thanks, Kaylee. Um, Obviously, Rhode Island playing the most recent of the non-conference games to close out against Harvard, and it was kind of a game that mirrored the story of their non-conference play. And I think that the direction they're trending in, Um, they were up by as much as 14 in the third quarter, the Rams were, and it came down to a last minute shot. Harvard came all the way back to the lead by one. And Sophie Phillips hit a a game winner, with just a few seconds on the clock. Um, There are games this year. and, And one that comes to mind for me is the game against Konipiak at home to end the month of November, where they're up by seven at home in the fourth quarter. They almost never lose at home. And they fell to a team that was dealing with a lot of foul trouble. Um, I think that shows the progress from November to December. Yeah, they're not quite where they want to be, but they're showing more confidence and they're heading in the right direction. Uh, You think back to the loss at Maine, which, by the way, the A-10 is (laughs) 1-5 against Maine this year, and Harvard lost to them too. So keep that in mind. But um, Harvard, uh, excuse me, Maine, that was a tough game. The, the, The shooting was just off. And I think from that game forward, the confidence was really rattled. Even though they had great games against NC State, who are now ranked third, I believe, in the country, um, and Princeton, who they beat at home, uh, the confidence wasn't truly fully back. And I think they needed that that 11-day break they had going into the LeMoyne victory. Um, and they got that break and they played really well. And I think they carried some of that confidence into this game. And that's ultimately what held them over in that fourth quarter and allowed them to be victorious. So the big thing for this team is confidence. I believe that the talent for Rhode Island is there this year. I think they have all the pieces that they need. I think it's about playing as a team and performing well. And it, it, shooting is a big part of it, too. Um, but there's some other things, obviously. Um, turning the ball over is something they've gotten much better at um, as the season's gone on. They started strong, and they kind of struggled. Um, and just kind of creating plays. There were some stretches where they couldn't get many assists going. They were only creating shots. I think all these things are slowly coming together, and they're going to have to continue – trending in the right direction because I think they're going to need to to make some more progress. They're not quite where they want to be yet, but they're in a place to succeed. I think St. Louis is a great first test. They're not having the season they want either, but they're a tough team. They played Rhode Island tough on the road last year before they went on their run and they still have a lot of the same pieces. So I'm looking forward to a, a good fun battle in St. Louis uh, on Saturday.
1: Yeah. One thing I just want to add with what Zach just said, some keys that Rhode Island, I feel need are really finding ways to stay like in games late they need to kind of make sure that their opponents like a saint louis or even like a davidson like if they have a good lead on these teams they need to make sure that they have like a way of making sure they can end out games without letting a team go on like a huge run and everything like that another thing is i've noticed that three-throw shooting hasn't been the best also for rhode island so They need to make those free throws, especially down the stretch. So in that way, when it gets to a close game like they had on Thursday night against Harvard, they wouldn't be in like a huge close game scenario where it came down to almost the buzzer for it.
3: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's kind of another area where you saw some progress, even in the short term, that that loss against Quinnipiac that we mentioned previously. Um, Free throw misses were ultimately one of the biggest, if not the biggest, cause for the loss that night they had chances to put the game away and they didn't um, this game was a little bit of hit or miss uh, the Harvard game but you think that the next game after that loss uh, against Princeton they hit their free throws so it's something that they've shown they can do just a matter of execution confidence and getting it done
0: one thing that I wanted to ask you about Zach um, Rhode Island is um, a very good team as you mentioned at the Ryan Center and they're also 2 zero on neutral floors this season but they are one in four on the road. Um, granted, one of those losses was obviously to NC State. Do you feel like that is something that is concerning for you? Or do you think that just the strength of who they played on the road or what do you think is factored into
3: that? I think that's definitely a good point. And even when you look back to last year, they they did win games on the road, but they were maybe closer than they should have been. Um, the Ryan Center is just a great home court venue and it, it provides a really good advantage. I think the thing with this team and Tammy kind of alluded to it in the NC State game, which obviously it's, very distinct, you know, considering the matchup, but even games like Mate, you know, that's not the biggest gym you'll ever see, but it's such a loud environment, such a you know, unique feel to the game there. Every different, you know, every different venue prevents or presents a different challenge. Um, and I think that's something they're gonna have to navigate. Um, can they win those close games like they did last year? Is that a step that they're gonna make in St. Louis? Last year, when Rhode Island visited uh, Shea Fitz Arena, there was 300 people in attendance. I do not expect that number this time around. Um, can they play in a loud environment? And that's something Tammy Reese talked about. You know, the NC State crowd, the the players, you know, on the team, they haven't really experienced that type of atmosphere yet, and that's kind of why that game fell apartly. Like. You could say the same thing about Maine. That gym was very unique. It's called the Pit. That all the stands are up top. Maybe that threw their shooting off. Maybe the noise threw them off. Granted, those were early in the season. Is there progress from point A to point B? And I think that's something, it's definitely a good question, something to look out for. But again, they have to make progress in you know the technical aspects. They also have to make progress in their mental toughness in, in that aspect.
2: And I think that having some of the experience from last year might help with that, Zach. Like what strikes me as different from Rody's team this year in comparison to past years is you have starters returning. We haven't seen that in a few years. Maya Torrey, Sophie Phillips, to name a couple, I think that makes a big difference. Once you're going back to gyms you've been at last year when you're facing opponents, does that provide a different sort of vibe with this year's team where you have a bit more certainty of who potentially they are?
3: Yeah, that's another good point. I think, yes, there are returning starters this year, but I mean, honestly, the unit as a whole, I think is what makes the bigger difference because Yes, you have Sophie Phillips back. Yes, you have Tendam, or excuse me, my Tory back starting, and you have Ten Magasa back who's started a handful of games and went healthy is, is still a factor. Um, I think you have to look at the other parts of the team, the new grad transfers, um, some of which have played in big moments before. And then you compare to the group last year. That group last year really held it down. They were a really solid trio in terms of leadership. Um, and I think that's why they won some of those big games on the road in some of those big moments. This year... It's been a slower road there. I think they can get there, but it's more about the cohesive group and those new pieces and how they fit in. I think that's going to be a big test for them. Can they get one through five on the same page?
1: Could you kind of just talk a little bit about the grad transfers a little bit? I know um, Dee, Dee Davis and Tisha Hyman have been doing a lot for the team. Could you kind of just like mention how they've done a lot for the team in their ways?
3: Yeah, I mean, in short, it's been hot and cold to begin the season. And I think this is where you have to take the next step. You have to see some consistency. There's been some games where Dee's made some key shots tonight, uh, or I should say Thursday night against Harvard. She had, I think, 11 points. And then she had a big game against LeMoyne. She had 19 points. So did Tisha Hyman. She had that big game against Princeton. And I think the reason why they won the game, she had some timely shots. She finished with 21. Then there's been games where she has four, six points. She might have, you know, three to five assists. She might have one assist. It's just been, it's been consistency. Same with Tisha. Um, she has her, I think as of late, Tisha's been very consistent in terms of scoring. She's been in double figures, I think each of the last six, seven games, maybe. Um, there's been some games where she's been quiet. Granted, there's also been foul trouble in there. But I think the key to this team getting to where they need to go and winning games is going to be having night in the night out you know you can rely on dd davis you know you can rely on tisha hyman to put 10 to 15 points on the board and get you know maybe three to five rebounds and one to three assists if you can get those numbers consistently from them rhode island can get where they want to go and win more games than than uh most of their games um but i think the same holds true for everyone you know um sophie phillips Myatory, the returning pieces they have to be consistent too and I think you know they've shown that so far this year, and the grad transfers are getting there. But I think that's kind of the way the season started. They weren't where they wanted to be. They'd they'd have great games, and they'd kind of um, fall back. And as of late, it looks better. But we'll have to see if that continues. That's great insight, Zach. I want
0: to thank you so much for joining us live from the Ryan Center right after wrapping up the Rhode Island Harvard game. We're going to move on to our next segment. We're going to talk about davidson just so so folks at home can follow along as we're going along here we're going to be doing the order of the most recent a10 talk power rankings so we're gonna move on to davidson next but again thank you zach so much for joining us tonight
3: yeah thanks for having me on looking forward to seeing how the league unfolds this year it's going to be it's going to be a fun time
2: and as we move into the top of our power rankings it's not surprising that davidson is number one because the wildcats proving to be one of the best mid-majors, at least through non-conference play. They sit 11-1 heading into conference play, and they've done this without Ellie Sutton for about half of non-conference play. She only played the first six games of the year before she left with a knee injury in a game against Wofford, and we don't know yet whether, whether she'll be able to return or not. So hopefully Sutton comes back for the good of the team, good of the conference But we will see what happens there. The good news for Davidson is Izzy Morgan had missed one game. She didn't dress a couple games ago, but she returned. So that's a good sign for the Wildcats and their point guard. Just to go a little broad on Davidson to start. The 11 victories, they've defeated Wake Forest. They got a win at home versus them by five points. They went to Cameron Indoor where they defeated Duke by seven points. Duke was receiving votes. They were also number 22 in the coaches poll at the time. And meanwhile... Davidson lost at 16th-ranked North Carolina, only by four points in Carmichael. And then besides that, they're winning by 15, 20, 30 points, the rest of their non-conference schedule, essentially. And the biggest difference between last year's Davidson, which went 14 and 16, to be clear, and this year's Davidson has been Millie Pryor. When you look at individuals, because Pryor did not play last year. She was out with an injury. This year, she's averaging 12 points and seven rebounds, and Pryor has made a huge difference down low, and Davidson as a whole, even without she they are seeming more cohesive. They are very disruptive in the passing lanes. They are dominant down low. They're not the biggest team, per se, but they'll back anyone down. They'll make layups from all angles and from all different shot abilities down low in the post, and... They're shooting better. They're winning the board battle. They're doing everything that teams need to do to be successful. And I think a huge thing for both Davidson and the conference, they didn't screw up per se. They didn't lose any gimmies. They've won handedly any time they were supposed to. And they've been close against the power five schools that they've played. Most people, myself included, didn't really see this coming. But this is a core that's been together for a while for the most part, save for Prior stepping into the lineup. Maddie Plank started a lot last year. She's coming in off the bench. She has a good case for sixth player of the year by the end of this season. Davidson has come together like no one really expected. And it's been great to see. This is a program that hasn't been at the peak for a while. There's a lot of excitement right now in North Carolina for the Wildcats.
0: I think you make a great point about Davidson just not stepping on any landmines. And that's true for a lot of the conference, actually. I, I was researching this for the show tonight. There are 25 teams in the entire country that are 8-0 or better against net 101 teams. So granted, these are not the flashiest teams, but these are teams that if you're playing them, you should beat them. Davidson and St. Joe's are both 10 and 0. Richmond is 9 and 0 and Mason is 8 and 0. So as to your point about Davidson, I mean, they they don't have the best resume in the world. Their strength of schedule um, is was 194. It's not you know the, the flashiest, um, but I mean that that win against Duke is only going to keep improving for them. Um, yeah. I think that is like the corners. It's easily the best win of any team in the conference so far this year. Um, Wake Forest that win I imagine is going to appreciate more once Wake Forest starts winning some conference games. Their net will go up. Um, and I think that Charlotte Win could also appreciate pretty well as we move forward as well.
1: Just some things that I personally feel that they, that Davidson needs to keep in mind is whatever game they have, they need to make sure they win those games. They can't just go in like saying, oh, UMass is two and 10. Like they need to go in like it's zero and zero or one and oh kind of dealing conference play and win those winnable games and not let t- teams in the conference, just get in it right away as well. as just, Keep playing consistent, keep playing Wildcat basketball. Funny enough, Davidson, since joining the conference, has not won a regular season title or a tournament title. So Davidson's currently on track for that and probably has the best at-large resume for the March Madness when it comes to that, based off of some of the games they played and with good wins over Duke. And Wake Forest, but a very, very small margin loss to North Carolina. So just saying that right there, you do have on track for currently standing as the automatic qualifiers. We're currently tracked to be on a one bid league for Bracketology, as I saw per ESPN. But they do have a really strong chance as long as the Wildcats don't shoot themselves in the foot.
2: And they've done a real good job of putting themselves in a good position by not, but like, screwing up against any of the non-conference. That gives them a little bit of wiggle room, and they already have a conference win where they defeated Dayton back on December the 5th at home. It was 81-53. They'll play the Flyers again later in the year, but it was a pure demolition, and I think – Davidson has shown throughout a lot of the year that they can win just by dominating down low. They got Mariah Perez in foul trouble in that game, and that made a huge difference as she sat for almost the entire first half. But Davidson can shoot the three as well. I think Rosie Deegan, Susie Rose Deegan, her numbers haven't changed a ton from last year, but it really feels like she's been the player who, when they need a big bucket, she has delivered it, especially with Ellie Sutphin out for the last six games or so and they put themselves in a great position last year the record was bad at 14 and 16 but let's not forget this program has been growing under gale folks maybe it's taken a year longer two years longer than we might have expected but last year they made the cbi that was the first time they had made that tournament they're starting to get closer and closer to more consistent postseason action now they haven't gotten big wins in the a10 tournament yet But they're getting more experience, and I think this is the progression that Coach Folks and Davidson, this is what they've been looking for. That core is growing. Izzy Morgan, those players, they're juniors. Rosie Deegan's now a fifth-year grad student. Sutphin's a redshirt senior. They're getting to that time where it is their time, and so far they've taken it by the horns and ran with it.
1: Yeah, I totally could see actually several of the core players for Davidson Making the co- all conference first or even second teams this mm-hmm. upcoming, like when we get there, because with how they've done with scoring, rebounding, and also just like working as a unit, they are playing like they are truly a team that wants to play in March. So this team is a team to look out for when it comes to conference play, especially if you're going down to Davidson. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough one for any A10 team. I expect to hopefully see attendance grow for these games. Mm -hmm. I did see that attendance was starting to get better um, for each game as I've just was watching on TV, but women's basketball as a whole has been growing greatly every single year. I've noticed now, since I've started covering women's basketball more and more each year. So, Just getting back to kind of the whole thing with Davidson, Jacob, what would you really say is something that's really, really important for the Wildcats to kind of keep in mind, kind of trying to have that goal set of making it to the tournament championship for like the first time in program history.
2: I think the big thing is staying together defensively. When I think of Davidson, I had the privilege to watch him three, four times in person for non-conference play and When I think of them right now, I think of their defense and communication. They talk incredibly. So can they do that on the road? Can they do that in a tough environment? Well, they did against Duke, so that's good. And they, for the most part, did against Carolina. Yeah, they still fell short. But so finding ways to do that when the crowd's not on your side. But their hands, their active defensive hands, it's nuts. They average 8.2 steals a game. And I swear they're getting shortchanged on the number of steals they really get. Izzy Morgan must get sticks alone every game it is remarkable how well they play defensively together you're not getting those steals individually it's not like a scorer who decides i'm going to try like score 40 no that's all teamwork cutting up the passing lanes having hands everywhere and if that translate and it should translate that's something that should go from non-conference play to conference play they're going to be really hard to play against because you cannot get in a rhythm against them as an offense. It's very hard to do so. So that's huge. And number two, this may sound a little odd, adding Ellie Sutfin, how much time will that take? If she's able to come back and that's a big if, and we really don't know there, but if she's able to come back, how do you maintain the chemistry that you've developed so well over the past six games and possibly more That's a big question as well, because the six, seven players they got right now, they look in lockstep with everything they do. So, of course, if Sutphin's able to come back, there could be rust there with the whole unit. But we got potentially a long ways to go. Who knows on that aspect? Big hypothetical.
1: Now kind of looking into our next team, going right down our power rankings, we're going to go over to... Love The lovely St. Joe's in Philadelphia. Um, They currently are standing at an 11-1 record. So they've basically had a very similar schedule to Davidson, but didn't have as many power uh, five teams in their schedule. So not the same strength of schedule as you would have seen with Davidson. But they do have a good win from the Big Five, actually, over Villanova. Uh, Villanova is kind of regrouping after losing Maddie Segres to the WNBA last season, so in the offseason. So there's a little bit of a regroup going on there. Um, And they've only lost one game, and that game was to number 12, Utah. And they actually had Utah play them at Hagen Arena. So that's a cool enough of a fact to just say that, considering to like a number 12 team, I believe, at the time. Will, was willing to come out to Hagen Arena when they were actually going to be playing at Mohegan just a few days later. So that's actually a pretty cool thing that they did that. I mean, this St. Joe's team has not lost its core. Its core players, Ta- Talia Brugler, Laura Ziegler, and Mackenzie Smith, as well as Julia Nystrom, they have all been very, very consistent in helping the team out, whether it's all of them doing it at the same time, like in a game. Or if it's like one of them, like Ziegler or Brugler stepping up, it always depends on wh- who you're going to see from it, essentially. And also with that, they also gained actually a transfer in the offseason as a grad transfer from Davidson, funny enough, Chloe Welch. So Chloe Welch has been a great addition to this St. Joe's team. She's been consistent. She actually scored her 1,000th career point, I believe, In the non-conference play, so that's a really cool thing to see. St. Joe's has been a perennial team that can go in and win games when they need to win games. We were talking about this last season, I know, on the podcast as well as just hearing murmurs of St. Joe's being undefeated and like having a really strong, like a non-conference play, and then like it kind you saw kind of saw them go down a little bit. This St. Joe's team has experience; most of them are now juniors and seniors and there's now chloe welch in there as a grad student so there's huge huge input just from this team being as strong as they are they really need to stay competitive um you can feed the ball into Laura Ziegler and talia brugler will always help out with whatever shots you need i mean they also need to like be consistent and this is really my key top thing for most of our top teams in our power rankings is all of those teams need to win the winnable games. With that being said, like you can't just go ahead and go up to the Mullen center or have UMass come down and beat beat you. Like you got to win those games that are expected to be winnable, especially in conference play. It's going to be chaos. You never know what's going to happen and havoc can always break out loose. Yes. I did purposely just use two of our lovely a 10 puns that we've had roaming around from the past few years. But I mean, they do have the chance to compete for regular season and also the tournament championship titles. Like this team is a really strong team. Like I can say this right now. They haven't won a tournament or regular season title in a while, but that's just because of having the big shots of UMass up there the past three seasons, Rhode Island up there the past two seasons, and Dayton up there for a good period of time in GW holding its ground as well as Duquesne for a little bit but in a time frame Cindy Griffin has won in Hawk Hill and she's probably the longest tenured coach in the A10 on the women's side too which is a cool thing to know considering the fact that she's been able to bring in these teams like her teams every year that is a great thing to know that the fact that she's able to bring in different groups even if as a younger group like she's able to bring in these groups and find a way to win with these teams on Hawk Hill, which is an Im- amazing thing to see.
0: I think one of the things that's impressed me the most about this St. Joe's team is their discipline. Um, if if they have a weakness, it's they have a tendency to sometimes they're very streaky, um, but they're disciplined to be able to withstand the runs that they give up at times. Um, they, I mean, if you look at just some of the, the stats that you look at for veteran teams, They are fifth in the country in fewest fouls per game. They only foul 12.7 times a game, which is remarkable. Um, They are ninth in the country in free throw percentage at 80.7%. And they're also not going to turn the ball over. They're 34th in the country in fewest turnovers. They only turn the ball over about 13 times a game. And those are three important measures of success because that will travel with you anywhere you go in this conference. Um, and I think one of the things that's unique about St. Joe's, and to your point, Kaylee, is they have the experience of going through a season like last year where they started so hot and then it kind of fell apart on them. I think Davidson is is similar to Richmond in a lot of ways, where they are team programs that have been building for a number of years, but haven't really been on this stage before where they have the target on them. St. Joe's has that experience of last year. And even if you want to go back, I think either one or two years before that, they made it all the way to the A 10 semis. I believe. Um, This is a team that has been on this kind of stage before had these bright lights on them. And I think that sets themselves up for success as we move into conference play this year.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer, but I need to see St. Joe's prove it because last year we had them at number three in our power rankings when, non-conference seat, when the non-conference slate ended. They were third behind UMass and Rhode Island, and they finished, I believe, sixth in the conference standings at the end of the road. And so the question is, have they made enough progress? Have they learned from that There's no way to know during non-conference play. It's a matter of whether they can take the lessons they learned from last year into this year and find a way to maintain a high level of excellence even when you're expected to do so. Because last year they weren't as great as they were expected after their great non-conference they typically don't play a super challenging non-conference schedule either In large part they play in the big five which I think is awesome in the Philadelphia area and you do get Villanova and Temple often as a part of that but besides that they tend not to branch out a ton and so I think conference play is really when you find out who the real St. Joe's is last year they weren't quite as good as we thought this year who knows I need to see it from them
1: Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you at all, Jacob. I mean, one thing I will just say, too, is St. Joe's can be predictable but can also be unpredictable at the same time. If you go ahead and look back at the past two tournaments, St. Joe's has been knocked out. I believe the first time they got knocked out was actually by UMass, and that was when UMass made it to the championship and actually won the title. And then last year they got knocked out by – a decently strong i forgot whether it was fordham st louis or even rhode it island was st
2: louis they've it lost was... to the defending champ two years in a row
1: yeah so yeah,
0: yes so was the three seed and they lost to st louis as the six
1: seed yeah thank you i couldn't remember who it was i was thinking it could have been fordham it could have been st louis it could have been rhode island i was thinking any of those three just because funny enough it's just i feel like it's a curse i mean Nothing. Not trying to be rude, but it shouldn't be a curse. St. Joe's, I feel, especially with now having two years under the belts of Brugler, Mackenzie Smith, and also bringing in um, Chloe Welch, who's got four years of experience from Davidson in this conference, I feel like they should be able to get over that hump and not lose to the then-eventual champs in the tournament, but... It's always a wild card because, again, they don't play a very strong schedule every, like, non-conference play. I feel like if they snuck in, like, a pick game or even something like uh, another, like, ACC or even, like, an SEC, Big 12, Big 10, like, Penn State even. Like, sneaking in, like, interstate games, those are always, a like, good conference matchups. Like, I feel like you could see something that you may not have seen in team past, like, I feel like it would be stronger if they had that. But again, you can't always go back and correct a non-conference schedule. And we don't know how much effort goes into those because the coaches do work on those a lot.
2: And let's give immense credit to St. Joe's, especially the players. They can't control who they play. And they took care of business, this non-conference schedule. They beat everyone. You weren't expected to beat Utah, even though you were at home, but Besides that, they have done their job, and that's what they did last year as well. And so it's a matter of carrying it onwards. And I think it'll be interesting, with no Katie Jacott as their point guard, that's a big change as well when she was so consistent for them. So making sure that nice drum. She's been around for a while, started a bit, and went to the bench back and forth. And obviously Welch knows the A-10, but she was injured, didn't play last year. So if St. Joe's can make sure they have that solidified, I believe that they can and will improve from last year's A-10 slate. So now we'll move to the number third team in our rankings. (laughs) As we continue onwards down through our power rankings, we've hopped on Rhode Island. We did Davidson number one, St. Joe's number two, and now we have the Richmond Spiders at number three. Daniel mentioned it earlier a little bit with Richmond has... They've been growing as a core. Addie Budnick has been the main part of that. And last year, they didn't make a huge jump, per se. They were the fifth team, but didn't quite have enough there. Last year, they were 21 and 11, very good overall record, but only eight and six in conference play. And when you look at them this year, they are 10 and three in non conference play. They've won all five of their home games. They haven't had the craziest of schedules per se as in terms of power fives, but they do have a win at Drake, who's an excellent team. They got a 34-point win over Maine, which I'm not calling Maine a power six team or anything like that, but Maine has given the A-10 problems this year, no doubt about it, and Richmond beat them by 34 points. So kudos to the Spiders for doing what other Atlantic 10 teams couldn't do, but Richmond had a seven-point loss against Michigan State at some point during this year. I think, similar to St. Joe's, how can they improve in conference play from last year? Because their non-conference record last year versus this year, it's the same, 10-3. and But then conference play, they fell off to being 8-6 and on the year. That's a big question. But I think what really excites me about Richmond is the fact that their younger players are getting more experience. Again, similar to St. Joe's. It's been a little while since we've seen Addie Budnick not being the not being the leading scorer for Richmond, but she's not even close right now. 11.5 points per game, very respectable. That's good, but Maggie Dugan, 17.5 points per game. Dugan has been carrying the offense. No, no, she's been leading the offense. Richmond has four players in double figures, but Dugan's shooting 56% from the field, 44% from three. She has made a huge jump from last year to this year. And they've gotten stability in their starting five. And all the names look the same from last year. If you remember this Richmond team, you've got Dugan, you've got Budnick, Grace Townsend running the show as the point guard. Siobhan Ryan can shoot threes at a high clip. This year, she's shooting them at 52%, 24 for 46, which is bonkers. And then you've got Katie Hill as well, who didn't play quite as much last year, but still, she started every game experience in this conference. The team did not undergo a lot slash... Any turnover, really, the backup point guard position is probably the biggest change. You've got Lauren Van Arsdale, who's now their backup point guard. Last year, it was Sidney Boone. But this Richmond team looks very similar. And so it's a matter of taking what you learned last year and growing it into this year that I think makes the biggest difference for the Spiders. And we'll see how it turns out in the long run for them.
0: No, I think you make a great point, Jacob. Um, this Spiders team had had a very similar type of season to what they had last year in the non-conference slate. Um, although I will say that they do have the strongest strength of schedule of any A-10 team this year. Their strength of schedule is 106. Their mm-hmm. opponent's success is 107. Um, their, they, their worst loss is number 56, Villanova. Their other two losses are 16, Michigan State, and 28, Duke. Um, and you may recall the Duke loss was the 11 a.m. game to start the season, which Seems like Richmond kind of never got off the bus that day. Um, but aside from that game, Richmond has been extremely competitive in every game they've played. Um, I think that the reason they're a little bit lower in the net is because they have a three spot next to their name. And everyone knows that when you're a mid-major in a small conference, you know, the more the higher the number in the lost column is, the worse you're gonna be rated, regardless of who you've lost to. I think mm-hmm. Richmond has done a good job of where we've kind of criticized St. Joe's and Davidson a little bit. They have challenged themselves. They have I think gone out and, and and really played some some tough games. I mean, they um, played Michigan State on a neutral court. Um, Villanova was a home game, and Duke was a road game, obviously. But they've gone out, played in different environments, um, and a lot of their stats have transferred really well too. I mean, they they, as you mentioned, shoot the ball incredibly efficiently. They're 31st in the country in field goal percentage. They're shooting 47% from the field, which is outrageous. I mean, you look at the rest of the conference and the good teams in the conference are shooting about 38, 39%. No one is shooting above 45%, you know, in (laughs) in this league. Um, If you want to go back to like the, the, when GW was a dynasty with John Paul Jones, they were shooting 42% from the field most years. Like shooting 47% will probably not last the whole season, but that's a bonkers number to be shooting at right now.
2: Yeah, I think that's been a huge catalyst. But I think, as we know, shooting, that can fluctuate throughout a season. And I think what Richmond is probably most proud of is the fact their other aspects of the game will help them in games where they're not shooting well. If you take out that first Duke game, which I was at, and yeah, Richmond just looked out of sync right from the beginning, and Duke's an excellent team. But they've been able to hold their own no matter – How the game is going. I think of that overtime game against Appalachian State at home where App State had them on the ropes a couple times. Richmond wasn't at their best, but they still found a way to get it done. And yes, the game was high scoring. Yes, they were shooting the ball rather well, but being able to be more consistent in all facets, I think is huge for this Richmond team. And they're continuing to hold their own rebounding the ball about the same as last year. They're not the biggest team, but they shoot the ball better this year and that'll help your rebounding numbers. that'll help everything because of the fact that you're just taking advantage more and scoring more. And I think the fact that you've got players such as Rachel Ulstrom who can come off the bench and contrib- contribute like she did last year, she has 23 minutes a game and is their third leading scorer this year that helps too. If someone gets in foul trouble, you have experience coming in off the bench as well. I think this team just has to prove that they can win the big games now in conference play. Last couple of years, well, they had a big win against Fordham in last year's uh, tournament, but that was the quarterfinals game, I believe. But they have to continue to show that they can win the big conference games. And the context you provide on their schedule I think is huge to note as well because they might not be the flashiest names, but it's not always about that, and they've gained great experience.
1: Yeah, no, and I, I just want to kind of put a date towards that Michigan State loss just in that way it's kind of understanding. That actually was right before Christmas in the Cherokee Invitational, so in an MTE. So overall, like, it's a neutral court, but I want to say it was actually in North Carolina the game, so – considering it was more of like a home, yeah, Asheville, North Carolina, considering it was a more, like, game that's closer to Richmond than to Michigan State, you would have expected more of a home home atmosphere, but they've pulled off the wins that they need to pull off. Like, they obviously held it in with Duke for when they could, but, again, it didn't look like they got off the bus. But, I mean, this team has proven to win the games that are supposed to be won. Like they were the only team that beat Maine this year. So that's totally like great in the fact. And Maine obviously wants to join the A ten, apparently. That'll be my running joke for the entirety of this, but it's not gonna happen. But honestly, Richmond pulled their own, and this is probably one of the better strength the schedules that we had.
2: And I also want to add that I mentioned earlier that Katie Hill didn't play much. That was false on my end. She averaged 29 minutes a game last year and was their fourth leading score with nine points per game. And that continues to show the consistency that this team has has. And you look at the first Rhode Island aside, look at the top three teams in our power rankings. What do they have in common? Consistency in who's playing from last year. Davidson, St. Joe's, and Richmond, all for the most part, have very similar rotations. And I think that is. obviously it's unusual in today's transfers nil etc era that we live in but it shows continuity pays off and for richmond if they can keep doing what they've built the last couple of years they might be in really good shape in the robin center which is not too far away from the siegel center where vcu plays next door and they are number four on our pay, power rankings there. Let's move to VCU 11 and 1 on the season. Their one loss was at James Madison by 13 points. They've got notable wins versus ECU, that's East Carolina, versus Old Dominion, a win against St. John's and a win against Delaware in the new venue in Richmond North Care, sorry, in Richmond, Virginia, where the A10 tournament will be held this year. That was really cool to see them play at that new venue. I think it one great for the staff, great for the venue to understand how basketball is going to work there. But also it was cool to see the arena being used. That's a neat little perk that VCU got. So kudos to them, kudos to the A10 and to Delaware for making that happen. When you look at this VCU RAM side, Sarah Tibiasu, she's their best player. No one really doubts that. No one's doubted that the last couple of years. Her numbers have actually gone down This season, scoring the basketball, even as the team record has improved. Last year, VCU, 7 and 22 on the year. They already have 11 wins this season. Tibiasu scored 16 points per game last year. This year, she's only scoring 13, but it's been the depth and the support that's really helped this VCU side. You've got Tamaya Lewis Usti. She had seven points per game last year, and this year, she is scoring 13 points per game. We've got Mariana Asari seven points per game last year, 12 points per game this year. And VCU has improved on the glass immensely. Last year, they were only plus two rebounds per game. This year, they're plus 13.7 rebounds per game. Michael Parham has been a big reason why. She's been fantastic this season for VCU. And they have, I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but in a way they have. We didn't expect the ginormous downfall they had last year but also I think in turn didn't expect the ginormous leap they've taken this year. It's an odd three-year span. When you look at this VCU side, you can extend it to five years as well. They had a good run of success prior to last year. And is it possible you can have just a one-year terrible season where everything goes wrong? Maybe that was VCU last year because their roster hasn't dramatically changed from last year to this year, nor the year prior to last year maybe last year was just a fluke. I think conference play is where we're going to find out. They're a fascinating team and a fascinating program over what they've done the last few years.
1: Yeah, totally. And one thing I just want to point out too, is this VCU team is two years off of winning their first ever um tournament conference tournament title. So, because they want it in the bubble actually back in the 2020, 21 season. So they are two, now three years technically, but two titles ago or three titles ago now. I apologize, um, but the fact that Sarah Tibiasu is still with the team, as she was one of the main like leaders on that championship team, and having that pickup, I think last year kind of helped, like wasn't expected, considering they've been such like a top tier team in this conference since since essentially they've came in almost, but this. This VCU is definitely regrouped from last year, isn't really showing any signs of weakness yet. But one key thing that I have for them personally, and I've already said this for Davidson, I've said this for St. Joe's, they need to win the winnable games. They can't just drop a game to LaSalle and Tom Gola Arena. They need to win that game. LaSalle is struggling this year. You need to be able to beat the teams that are struggling. You can't just drop the mindset of, oh, this is an easy game. Oh, we're going to win this by 20. You need to go in like it's going to be a close game because you never can know what's going to happen once conference play hits. I will keep reiterating that all night and all through conference play.
0: I don't think the importance of Sarah Tabiasu can be overstated, truly. Um, She has been around for so I feel like she's been here for eight years. Um, I watched her over the summer. She played with Team Canada in the Global Jam um, up in Toronto, I believe it was, where Louisville represented Team USA. That's why I watched. Uh, but Sarah Tibiasi was a thorn in Louisville's side throughout that entire tournament. Um, and seeing Sarah Tibiasi go up with a you know against a program of that caliber, I think it speaks tremendous dividends to her talent level uh, and the experience level she's bringing to VCU. Um, there there are only two things that kind of flag me about this team um, that give me a little pause. Their strength of schedule is one of the worst in the conference. Their strength of schedule is 303. Um, and the opponent's success was 336. So that... And I'm, I'm not trying to take away anything from what VC's done this season. I think what they've done is speak for themselves in terms of they can only beat, beat who's in front of them. I totally understand that. But that does raise a little bit of, of red flag for me. The other thing that kind of caught my attention looking through their statistics is they are 320th in the country in assists. They only average 10 assists per game, which... Is not necessarily a BL end all. There are certainly ways to run an offense where you don't have to have a bunch of assists, but generally speaking, that's a little bit of an alarm bell for me. Um now there's a number of reasons why that could be the case. But I do think that is something to pay attention to as we move forward. Um, but there's certainly a lot of things that VC does tremendously. They are number four in the entire country in defense. They allow only 49.2 points per game. Um, they're actually one of two teams in the A-10 that's in the top 10 in defense. <laughs> this conference has a lot of tremendous defenses. Um, we're going to see probably a lot of low-scoring games, despite the fact we have a lot of really good offenses in this league. They're, they have a great rebounding margin. They're plus 13.7, which is 11th in the country. Um, so this VCU, this VCU team does a lot of really good things, but there are a couple things like we've seen with everybody else we've talked about so far tonight. There's a little bit that I need you to show me still.
2: Oh, I think you're spot on with that, Daniel, because like you said, they haven't beaten a ton. This isn't a team for the most part that has winning experience, at least based on last year. And The 10 assists per game points to my red flag, which, or maybe I'll call it a yellow flag for now. They don't score the basketball a ton. Yes, they're outscoring opponents by 14 points per game. They're only scoring 63 points per game, and they've only broken 75 points once when they scored 76 against Sacred Heart. And that's against opposition that, per the numbers, isn't that strong. Well... Is that foreshadowing? I don't know, but it's something where you'd hope that number would be a little bit higher. But number one, I think head coach Bethel Boyle is a fantastic coach. And I think she will make sure that their defense, especially their stealing steals, they average almost eight and a half steals a game. I think that'll be on point and that'll help generate offense when it's not coming, but also at the same time, take advantage of Tibiasa when you need a big shot. That's, She's an excellent player. She's one of the best players in the conference. Take advantage of that. But it's going to be interesting. Can they score enough? And can they win a high-scoring offensive slugfest? We haven't seen yet. We simply don't know.
1: Right. And I actually just want to mention this. their first Out of their first three games, I'm not trying to discount their first game, VCU, um, but they have UMass, followed by Richmond, followed by Davidson within basically the first three games of official conference play. Right there, you have two of the top teams in the conference. Again, not trying to discount UMass, but it's a winnable game. I Again, I am not trying to like be a Debbie downer on UMass at all or anything. Please know that. But VCU is currently probably one of the better teams in the conference. And we weren't expecting them to be this good after how they were last year. But having already have to go against Richmond and Davidson by Sunday, January 7th, those are going to be the two biggest tests probably outside of St. Joe's and maybe even Rhode Island and St. Louis if they can get their acts together. So I feel like it's going to be a huge test for within their first few games. But you never know what's gonna happen, especially when George Mason comes to mind too, because George Mason can hold their ground too.
0: That gives me a lovely segue, Kaylee. Um, to move on to George Mason here. I appreciate you setting me up for that one. Um and speaking of George Mason, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a few minutes and gush here because I love this team. I don't think that's a secret on this show. Um, but this team really deserves um a little bit of gushing over. Um they are nine and two having arguably the best season in program history. Um, They have set themselves up where 20 wins is a conceivably feasible achievement for this team, which has not been done uh, in a long time, um, to say the least. Um, They are uh, 84th in the net. Their strength of schedule is 236. If you want to say it's a bugaboo, it might be a little bit of one. Their best win is 141 Marshall. Um, Their second best win is 174 Pitt. Um, which Pitt I think is getting a little bit of that Power Conference boost in their numbers. Pitt's kind of really not good. No offense, Tory Verdy but Pitt's kind of really bad. Um, but Mason's only losses are to East Carolina and Maryland, both of them on the road. Um, they play their absolute hearts out at Maryland. They lost by nine points. They led for three quarters of that game by double digits at the Xfinity Center, and really could have won that game. Um. And the East Carolina game, I kind of want to give them a little bit of a mulligan on for the reason that George Mason played probably the weirdest non-conference schedule of anybody in the conference. They concluded non-conference play with six consecutive road games and won four of them, which I would have absolutely taken when I looked at the schedule. I penciled in more losses than they had. Um, East Carolina is a team that is going to give a lot of teams fits. They're top five in the country in defense. They turn everybody over. Uh, I think they're like they might be number one in the country enforcing turnovers, I believe, um, and they ate Mason alive a little bit, um, but that will happen. I mean, I, I'm willing to cut them some slack for you know that was their first game in in, in twelve nights, I believe, and they played a weird game in Greenville, um, never really got off the bus, you know, lost. Never were really in that game, um, and Mason also is down the Lonnie for the year, unfortunately. Uh, she was preseason all conference for Mason. Um, She was their starting center. um, And unfortunately she's done for the year, but Mason has found ways to win games. They have bench production for the first time in my lifetime. I've never seen Mason have a bench like this. They lead the Atlantic 10 in both turnovers forced and turnover margin. Um, They are getting to the line a lot. Um, They're making some of them. (laughs) They are. um, I had a set on this. They are. Um, 214th in free throw percentage too <laughs> but um they are also at the same time 19th in free throws made which means they're not doing doing an efficient job of it but they're getting there and they're making enough of them with the amount of attempts they're getting um and Mason, to to be clear, is two years removed from a team that averaged 50.7 points a game and didn't win a single conference game. And it's now averaging 74.8 points a game in non-conference play. Now, Grant, I think that's probably why their net's a little inflated, because the net really seems to like blowouts for whatever reason. And Mason, to their credit, while they haven't played really anybody great, they beat the Everly crap out of everybody. I mean, they beat Mount St. Mary's by 50 on their own floor. Um and I think if that's what Mason, if that's their argument is, Hey, they have found ways to win games, both impressively and not. Um, I mean, when, when you have someone like Zahira Walton, um, who can just randomly drop 20 points uh, in a second half at Towson, um, that is a tremendous asset to have. So I'm curious what the non rose colored glasses of me, what do you guys think um, about George Mason?
1: So, I will just say this. I know we've mentioned this before on the podcast. I know I've reiterated this on the first few episodes of the podcast, just as the kind of filler for the woman's side. Um, Daniel knows this. They actually got off. George Mason got off to their best start ever this year in program history. May I just point that out? And the men's team is also probably on one of their better starts in program history too. So not we're not focusing on the men's side. Who cares tonight. about the men?
0: This is a woman's podcast.
1: That's exactly what I was about to say. Exactly. This, this is not about the men's tonight, but we are all about the women's scene tonight. So I do just want to point out George Mason does go on the road and does have to play again, or not necessarily on the road, but they do have to play against some tougher teams in the beginning of conference by you got, Your second game in conference conference play, you've got Rhode Island, and you're going up to the Ryan Center, I believe. So trying to win the Ryan Center is very hard. I will just say that having seen it from UMass, Jacob can probably talk about it from having been down there for UMass with WMUA and all of his experiences. And Davidson, they got Davidson right away too on January 10th. So those are going to be some big games that they need to try to be able to win I have a good feeling that they could beat Duquesne and LaSalle pretty handily. But again, with this conference, you never know what's going to happen. And I'll just say this. I know I've said this before on our podcast. I watched the pit game when it was at George Mason, hoping for the Verde Bird round two. Unfortunately, no round two of the Verde Bird, which I was pretty sad about. But George Mason has really, really surprised me this year not just because of how they've been like playing wise, but how much they've grown in the past three years alone, especially under Vanessa Blair Lewis. But considering this is year three under her and how much they've grown each year, this is a great sign to see in a rebuild, especially after whatever happened where they did not win a single conference game back in the bubble year. That's now several years removed. Um, The fact that Vanessa Blair-Lewis has done a great job of turning this around and just creating like a team that wants to win, I feel like has been a great way for the Patriots to really succeed and to just have a great chance of having wins and finding the ways to win the games that aren't actually going to be winnable, but they just need to make sure that they don't let a team claw their way back in, which they kind of did let Pitt do, but... They did a good job at closing that game out. I'll just say that just from the one game I did get to watch besides the Marshall game.
2: When you have to add on to your point, Kelly, when you have a team that has been struggling and you hire a new coach, the progress that George Mason has made under Vanessa Blair Lewis is exactly what you want. You want to see growth every year and around year three, you want to see this team start to take off and she's crushed it so far. This is going exactly how administration would hope. Of course, you want them to win 30 games the first year, but that's not happening. And Mason has really impressed me with the growth because, in a way, this is a bit of a make it or break it year in terms of if you saw stagnation in how the team performed, wins and losses, and it didn't seem like they were making improvements, that would be problematic. But the way that they have stepped their game up, they're scoring from Multiple people, the bench scoring, I mean, that's been cool to see because that's what you need in a winning team. You're not, you're unlikely to win if you only can rely on your starters. When you have bench pieces who can contribute in a whole variety of facets, it's huge. And if I am a Mason fan or a Mason supporter, I'd be very happy with the direction this program is going. That doesn't mean that they should be predicted to win the A10 tournament this year. But in the long-term view of this program, I am all supportive of it, and it's been fun to watch so far. They're doing it very well.
1: I just want to quickly say, Daniel, while Jacob was talking, I just saw the smile get bigger and bigger on your face. I want the record to show that <laughs> we actually made Daniel very happy with what we were saying from, what, from a non-Mason standpoint, from two people who don't cover George Mason and also people who kind of cover – other teams in this conference, just seeing that we're hitting the right points that you're seeing kind of is a good sign. And I just wanted to make sure that you were like, it was known that you were smiling when Jacob was talking for that.
0: Well, thank you, Kaylee. I very much appreciate that. No, I mean, I, the point I was going to make was I, which fits very well. I mean, I can't tell you how many times this season I've messaged Natalie Heverin, who phenomenal reporter for the next does all sorts of great things for women's basketball. Um, also Mason alumni. We did media together for years. Um, she's now living in Connecticut. But um, I can't tell you how many times I've messaged her and we're and she'll message me and we're just pinching ourselves, looking at box scores. Of do you remember when this team scored 34 points at Fordham and they couldn't even score George Correct on the box on, on the score bug? And that was embarrassing. And um, just to where this team is now, I mean. Mason is leading the league in fewest turnovers, which there was a time when Mason was averaging 27 turnovers a game. And that was something that we lived with. I went, I watched every single game. I, it was the only reason I ever left the house during COVID was to go to those Mason women's games in, in, in the little lockdown bubble at Eagle bank and sit 40 yards away from the court and watch them lose in horrific ways every time. And Seeing just where this team is now just makes my heart so happy. And that's not very professional of me, but I don't really care because I really love this team. Um, And that can be all we say about Mason um, because we've probably gone on long enough. But this season has just been so much fun. And I just am so looking forward to conference play.
2: And Mason starts to wrap up, I'd say, the upper echelon of the Atlantic 10 in terms of non-conference success. Mason's number five in our power rankings. Rhode Island is number six. We already had Zach talk about them. So now we'll go down to number seven if you're keeping track at home. Dayton is next. The Flyers are an interesting case. They are six and six on the year. They've played one conference game. They went down to Davidson and got clobbered by 28 points. But they are doing some things well. They're out-rebounding opponents by nine points per game. 41 rebounds per game is a good number to have, very good number to have. At the same time, their opponents are scoring 71 points a game, which is far too high. Now, the question is, where is Dayton's bar? And I'm not really sure. Last year, they were 7-21 and overall, but they also had a very difficult non-conference schedule based on the success of the prior coaching staff, the prior team in the last few years this year the schedule was a little more realistic I mean you had to start at UConn but toss that out the window for now and it was a little easier per se and that helps them get the six wins that they've already had but at the same time it hasn't been in a convincing fashion it hasn't been in a dominant fashion now it's only year two under head coach Tamika Williams-Jetter and so it will continue to take time and they've gotten a big boost from Ivy Wolf. She's been their newest acquisition and she's been huge in terms of helping them score the basketball, the junior transfer, 12 points per game along with three rebounds a game. She shoots 40% from three 83% from the free throw line. She's been a nice guard addition because last year Dayton was very host heavy, particularly with Mariah Perez. It felt like it was Perez or nothing almost last year This year, she's taken a bit more of a backseat, eight and a half points per game, six rebounds a game, and one block per game. But this is a Dayton team I still think is trying to establish their identity. What are they? Who are they? And who are the players that they can rely on? Destiny Bohannon's had a good year. Anisha Jones has been solid off the bench as well. But they've had some more shifting as to What their starting lineup is, they haven't been super consistent there either. This is a Dayton program, I think, that is still at the point of determining who and what they are, which is okay. Now, might you expect that in a team that's seventh in a power rankings? Maybe not, but sometimes that's just how it goes. And I think Dayton, they'll have an opportunity right off the bat versus Duquesne. I think Duquesne will be expected to win, per se. But when you look at versus Duquesne at UMass versus Loyola Chicago, Dayton can easily start 2-1 and in conference play. In fact, maybe this is a hot take, but they could be 3-0 and in conference play. Taking on Duquesne first, well, that can do you wonders. You can find an identity quick if you're winning two, three conference games in a row to start the Atlantic 10 portion of your schedule. So if I were to give a grade for Dayton, it would be – like TBA, incomplete, not sure yet. I haven't learned enough about this team, but there's some interesting points that I think give them a lot of promise in year two under Coach Williams-Jetter.
1: Yeah, no, I totally don't disagree with you. And there's actually one player stat line that I feel like you missed that I feel like should be mentioned. Um, Ariana Smith has played 11 games for this uh, Flyers team. She leads the team. With 11, averaging 11.4 11. rebounds a game. I just find that's very intriguing, as well as averaging almost a double double, 9.2 points. So almost, almost the same Breen of Dayton. But Daniel, I see you got a point.
0: And I want to just add while we're talking about Ariana Smith, she is fourth in the entire country in offensive rebounds per game. She's averaging 4.7 offensive boards a game, which is bananas.
2: And yeah. I should, I take full responsibility for that. I watched her be. Dayton's best player by far against Davidson and she coach Williams Jetta raved about her post game. Just couldn't say enough great things about what Ariana Smith has done. So Ariana, my bad there.
1: <laughs> I will just say to Jacob, um, you did mention the start of the conference play or I say really continuation of conference play for Dayton. um, they do have the chance to go three and one within their first three like ga- within these next three games of conference play for them with Duquesne, UMass, and Loyola Chicago. But I will just say this: I could see that this could go really so many different ways with Dayton because Dayton. Well, yes, they just needed one. They need one more win to tie the amount of wins they had last year, based off of what you said, um, Dayton. Is kind of still like you don't like it, feels like there's still pieces of the puzzle that need to go in based off of what I've seen, especially with having played like some kind of funky games, especially against um, I believe it was Ohio Dominican, um, with having them like very close at half. I feel like you don't know what's what to really expect from this Flyers team, and I'm not trying to discount the Flyers at all, it's just there's a lot that's left to be fixed, like, figured out and, like, have it get back to where the Flyers were um, when Shauna Green left to go to Better Pastures at Illinois. But you just never really know what to expect from any team in conference play, especially with second-year head coaches and everything like that as well, like, especially when you see some other second-year head coaches within the conference too.
0: I think one thing that makes Dayton so hard to evaluate too is it's their their numbers are hard to to look at because Dayton or sorry not Dayton, UConn has tremendously skewed their their strength of schedule among other things because when you're playing the number one team in the country, um, you know it's gonna you know it's their opponent success is one ten. Dayton's not played that strong of a schedule that they're one ten in opponent success like. Their best Dayton's best win is two forty nine Wichita State. They have a bad loss at two eighty four Ohio. Their their second worst loss is one ninety five Detroit Mercy. Beyond that, you know they're doing fine. They're zero and four against the top one hundred. They're five and two against one hundred plus teams. So it's really hard to evaluate. I mean, because I I completely agree with what you guys have said. I feel like this Dayton team is better than the team we saw last year, especially this as they started what zero and ten or whatever it was. It was bad last year to start the <laughs> season. The thing they, that is so weird too. Go ahead, Kaylee.
1: I believe they only won a game in non-conference play was against a D two team. Just that, to mention that.
0: That sounds right. That does sound. Right. <laughs> the thing too that looks so weird at the numbers is traditionally you see teams that are good at rebounding are you usually associate that with good defense. But Dane's defensive numbers are abysmal. They're two hundred ninety third in the country and. Defense are allowing 71 points a game. They're 316th in the country in field goal percentage defense. They're allowing opponents to shoot 45%. They're 345th in the country in three-point defense. I mean, these are bottom, bottom-tier defensive categories, and yet they are 24th in the country in offensive rebounding. They're 36th in the country in rebounding margin at plus nine. I mean, these numbers don't necessarily seem to necessarily add up. So I'm curious to see... I mean, I know this is kind of, I'm sounding like a broken record, what this team's going to do, but this team in particular, it's like, these numbers don't make sense. But they're kind of all we have to evaluate, Dayton also, because they haven't really played anybody. I think Wichita State's their only shared opponent with any other A-10 school. I think SLU also played Wichita. Correct. But beyond that, I don't think they've had any other shared opponents. So it's really hard to evaluate them. But on, but just via the eye test, this Dayton team does feel to me better than where they were at this point a year ago.
2: They feel better to me, but I don't think we'll see them finishing in the six, seven range by the time conference season comes to play. And I can tell by the expressions on both your faces, you agree with that. And I think... I mean, that's what conference play is for, number one, is seeing where you are in the important games. The team is also a bit of an odd, not odd, unusual in this current transfer portal era of a mixture of players from the previous coaching staff and the current coaching staff. No insults intended to players from the prior staff, but a lot of time coaches want their own players, play, players who they recruited in. Head coach Tamika williams Jeter, she's not at that point yet. It's only year two. That can play a difference. And Dayton fans, I'm guessing, are hoping that the stretch where they played Ohio, Detroit Mercy, and SIUE are the low point of the season. Because they lost to Detroit, they lost badly at home to Detroit, Michigan, I'm sorry, Detroit Mercy, only one by one at home against SIUE. I think that was on the verge of being the fans' breaking point. And so since then, they've been much better. Because at that point, they were one and three. Well, they've won five out of their last... Eight now that's improvement. We're gonna see where this Dayton team flies to, and it'll be interesting to see where they finish in the final standings. And there's a good chance the very next team in the power rankings, St. Louis, they might finish ahead of Dayton. I don't think any of us would be surprised when the conference season rolls around.
1: Yeah, no, you kind of set me up perfectly, Jacob. I appreciate you. Um St. Louis this year has really kind of been a surprising team from the start i mean they just won the most recent tournament championship bounced back from whatever start horrific start they had in non-conference play to then go on a stretch to then end up beating umass towards the end of conference play at the end of the year and then ended up beating umass again to win the championship in uh, delaware last year so there's a whole bunch of like different points too but i mean this st louis team has been all over the place their record stands at five and eight so they're not doing as good as we initially were expecting i mean i will just i do want to highlight this one game though first their game against missouri which was a come from behind win may i just point out And they were hosting Missouri at home, and I believe it was only the second time ever I think I heard that they beat Missouri. And funny enough, guess who was on that Missouri starting lineup? Former A-10 player, former UMass minute woman, Angelique Galakalondi. Galakalondi didn't play much in that game as she entered foul trouble quick and then fouled out, but that's besides the point. St. Louis needs to figure out ways to limit their turnovers and find ways to scrap together wins, especially against these higher-up teams like a Rhode Island, even like a St. Joe's, or even a George Mason. Just scrapping together wins is going to be a key for them. And they do have the chance to go ahead and beat some of these teams right off the bat. It's just they need to piece this stuff together. They host Rhode Island for their conference opener on December 30th to to end out the new year. The Billikens really need to make sure that they have Julia Martinez healthy after her being out for a few games in that stretch, um, as well as making sure that Peyton Kennedy and Kyla McMakin are also available too as they help out greatly with their scoring. We did mention that Wichita State was a connection from Dayton into um, St. Louis. Both teams lost to Wichita State. Um I feel like there was several losses on this Billikens teams that there was a piece missing, and it feels like there's a piece missing for one person in particular who's actually still with the Billikens program, Brooke Flowers. It feels like they're missing like their number five position, so they're center basically. It feels like there's that big piece missing in my my personal opinion, but that's also just beside the point. I could just be coming at it from an outsider perspective, I just feel like that's been a huge thing, like losing games to teams like Ball State, losing your home opener and season opener to Drake. Drake, I will just say is a top team that could be in the NCAA tournament again this year, so I'm not going to discount it yet. But also losing to Green Bay pretty big as well. Um on the road, I feel like those are concerning as well as losing to an Illinois state team that isn't that great. I feel like those losses kind of concern me a little bit about the St. Louis team, but again, they're on year two with this coach after um, some changes. So there's still like, as Jacob mentioned with Dayton, there's still players from the previous coach coming from like going into this team. So there's definitely some key pieces that are still moving around and everything. And, like, I can't give a full-on rep of where St. Louis could be, but I think I'm not trying to be negative with this at all. My personal opinion is last year was just a complete fluke of winning the tournament championship. Um, And that St. Louis got ranked way too high to start out the preseason poll from the conference. I feel like they got way too high, and now we're kind of seeing the aftermath of it as they're towards the bottom of the conference again. And they could completely surprise me in conference play and somehow pull together a number three seed. But currently I'm not seeing how they're going to do that without having a center.
0: My, my biggest fear with the St. Louis team is I think exactly what you just illustrated. I mean, they, they, they very much resemble the 2018 GW team where Jen Rizzotti took over Jonathan Sippis' roster that, for all intents and purposes could have walked its way to a, at least a WNIT appearance. And they ended up winning the A-10 tournament after, I think they were a five or six C or something weird. It was the year that everyone, all the top four teams lost in like the quarterfinals or something. Um, But GW basically slept, walked their way to winning the A-10 tournament championship. And then we all know how the rest of Rosati's tenure at GW went. Now I'm not saying that all oh, that's that necessarily Rebecca Till is, but that is my fear with the St. Louis team. Um, and they are admittedly very hard to figure out on paper. I mean, watching their game against Missouri with the eye test, I was I was really thrilled about this team. I was like, this is a team that is going to get an at-large bid. And then looking at them now, it's like, what the hell was I thinking? And the, the I was looking, I was pouring through their stats, trying to make sense of it. And what I came up with is this. So St. Louis ranked 329th in the country in defense. They allow 76.9 points a game. That's bad. But here's the weird thing with them: in the games they have lost, they have given up 82.1 points per game. In the games they have won, though, they have allowed only 68.6 points a game. And I know it's stupid to say, "Oh, well, you give up less points to win games." Like obviously, but like St. Louis, in in the games, in the five games they've won, has been able to find something in where they have struggled in other games. I mean, their offense. Should be good enough to win them games on its own. They're 75th in the country in offense. They're scoring almost 75 points a game. That should be enough to win you a lot of games in in the Atlantic 10. But when you're facing defenses like the VCU's and the Masons, the GWs that are in the upper half of the country, and they're going to you know rebound you to death and turn you over, you know, they don't really know what you're going to get from the St. Louis team, and. They're just so hard to figure out. I mean, Jacob, I-, I would love your insight on what you think is going on here.
2: I think everyone's vision was colored by the A-10 tournament run last year for St. Louis, mine included. When you look at St. Louis, their overall record for last season, below five hundred, sixteen 16 and 17. Now, that required some time of meshing Rebecca Tillett's players with the holdover players. It required time of understanding what the system required of them but for this year number one the injury to Julia Martinez did not help things you need her on the floor she's an excellent player last year's tournament most outstanding player but I think this year they're struggling with how much of the load do we have to pick up in Flowers' absence I think they have the players to do it But it's taking a while to get that. Brooke was so consistent for them for four or five years where they haven't figured that out yet. And they don't strike me as a team that's full of confidence right now. And you can see it in their results. Why did they win the A-10 tournament last year? In part, let's be very clear. They were super confident. They felt that they could and would beat anyone, and they did. And you don't see that right now with this team and it's okay it's early the important games are the conference games and they can turn it around but defensively they have to get sharper they can't be allowing teams to score as many as they are but in, in an odd way last year i think of them diving on the floor constantly getting steals doing all that they still struggled defensively last season so the team is a bit of an enigma i will they get a double buy at least right now I'm thinking no could they yes but uh, like both of you I'm really not sure where the Billikens are at
1: and St. Louis kind of has an easier start off to conference play so they could easily in their first three games they could easily go 3-0 or 2-1 and so they do start off with Rhode Island and Rhode Island is traveling out to Chavez Arena in St. Louis to play them. I believe Zach was going to go prepare for that after he hopped off for Rhode Island talking about Rhode Island. So but you got a game against Loyola Chicago and then UMass right at at UMass, so you got two road games right after a home game. It's going to be are they going to be able to piece together wins especially on on the road? After like in short turnarounds because they've had a little bit of longer turnarounds, but you really never know what's going to happen, especially when they are going to play against like the Ramblers coming up. So you never know what's going to ramble on going forward.
0: Thank you, Kaylee. That was a uh, another. We're on fire tonight with our segues, I must say. Um, so the number nine slot here tonight is a sa- is sorry the loyal Chicago Ramblers, um, who find themselves in kind of a weird position. This is a theme. This is just a weird league. Um, Most notably, I think the reason that we all voted Loyola this high is they played really, really well at Iowa. Um, This is a Loyola Chicago team that was picked last in the preseason poll for the league. Um, Six and five. Um, Hasn't had a super, you know, tough schedule. Hasn't really beaten anybody. Their best wins, 219 Milwaukee but they were beating Iowa at Iowa in a game where Caitlin Clark had a triple double and you know, for the better part of three quarters we're winning this game. Um, and that could be for any number of reasons, but I think that's the number one reason that we find Loyola Chicago here. Um, but the biggest difference for me between last year's team and this year's team, this year's team is scoring the ball. And last year's team started out reasonably well. And then went one in 15 in conference play. They won their opener Um and you know they scored 55.8 points a game last year this year they're scoring 65 points a game um so there is measurable progress with this ramblers team um i'm curious what you guys what you guys see with these guys
1: i feel that allison gooth has done a good job with bringing in players that can kind of help the ramblers get there i'll just say this now they've already basically done way better than they were last year i I don't see them leaving the pillow fight yet, but I can say they're getting closer to being a little farther away from the pillow fight. I feel like that's going to have, it's going to take some time to get there, but I mean, it could be way worse. It could be the fact that there's no real thing with where they stand. I mean, like they held it close at one point with Iowa where Iowa finally started pulling away. Um, and let's just say it's kind of been like a little harder to read Loyola, in my opinion. Just as I haven't seen many games of them, I've just been too busy trying to watch all of our other lovely teams in the conference. I've actually only not been able to watch out two of the teams in our conference this season somehow. Don't ask me how, but that's beside the point. Um, I feel like Loyola Chicago, blah, blah, blah. Loyola, Loyola Chicago, I apologize. It is... 10 o'clock now at night now as we're recording this so there could be some slight slip ups but Loyola Chicago does have an easier start to the conference play than most teams as they're going up against other teams that we could be seeing in that pillow fight like a St. Louis St. Bonaventure and Dayton not in that exact order Bonaventure to open up conference play followed by St. Louis and then Dayton and then they kind of have like a few games where it does get a little tighter like a on a road but I feel like Loyola Chicago could easily sneak away with some of these wins but you just cannot tell yet with this Loyola Chicago team was just how new they are in my opinion
2: I really liked Loyola Chicago's win at Northwestern I was impressed by that yes I know Northwestern is not the greatest of teams but the toughness and resolve that they had but they've done That was an important win to show they could win a tight game. Last year, there wasn't much of that. I think that's huge for them. Having players, Satori Tannen, Sam Galanopoulos, return, I think is huge as well. Last year, there was so much that was new that for the whole program in the conference, I think this year gives them an opportunity to really focus on learning and taking what you gained last year into this season. I think it'll help a lot. I probably don't see them as the eighth, ninth team either, but I think they'll be a little worse than that, but I think they're going to improve quite a lot and already have to be honest.
1: With that, we'll move along into our number ten spot on our a10 talk, women's basketball power rankings with the Fordham Rams. And this year, the Rams have started out with um a five and seven record. I mean, this team has pulled out some surprising wins, in my personal opinion, beating um, a U Albany team who has a chance to go to the NCAA tournament based off of the most recent bracketology. But that's besides the point. They've beaten other teams that they were supposed to beat, like a St. Peter's and a UMass Lowell. Those two games will connect in later on to another team we'll talk about in just a few minutes with the lovely UMass Minute Woman. But... Fordham has kind of had a unique pattern with their games, I feel like. There's been games where it seems like they can win, and then there's games where it seems like it's just a stretch where they're not going to win anything. And I feel that like it's been a momentum thing. And I do just want to mention, I know I've mentioned this before on some of our other podcasts, but we did have Taylor Donaldson against St. Peter's score, 35 points. She has been a huge contributor into this year one team for the Rams and coach Bridget Mitchell at um, Fordham. So I feel like this Fordham team isn't going to be like your perennial team that you were seeing in the top four, top five every year, the past few years with Anna DeWolf and um I, I forget who the other, like the other players were, but some of the other bigger names besides Anna DeWolf and I believe it was, I should Dingle, am I say? Am I correct that she was on? Yeah, okay. I'm getting the nod from Daniel that I am correct on that. So, but not having any of those key pieces anymore because they've transferred transferred out to Notre Dame or they've exhausted eligibility has been a thing with this Rams team. And I feel like we have to like you need they need to make some more three throws, and they need to find ways to piece together wins and find confidence after wins and keep stringing wins along. I feel that going into conference play, they have they got to start like they have a tough start with St. Joe's right away, and then they kind of ease back when they have two games against Bonaventure and Lasalle. So they could easily the in this stretch they could easily go one or they could go two and one or they can easily go one and two, oh and three. We don't even know because I don't even personally I don't feel like I have a good grasp on this. For
2: this Rams team. And Fordham is going to be the first of quite a few teams with new coaching staffs. And I feel confident in saying Fordham's been the best out of all those. They've been better than I've expected. You mentioned Taylor Donaldson. She's the leading scorer in the Atlantic 10. She is scoring 20 points per game. And I'll be. it's only been a nine game. She was out for a couple, but Number one, Fordham needs her to have success, no doubt. But I think this Fordham team, they've been in close games. You don't expect them to win it. They're a new team gelling together, but you got a three-point loss at Fairfields, a three-point loss at Siena, a two-point loss at Duquesne. You turn those games around, and all of a sudden, we're saying nicer things about Fordham. Not that they're the best team in the world, but we're looking at them in a slightly different light. So I think they're right there too, very solidly being a middle of the eight ten 10 pack, which under a first-year head coach is good and impressive. And if I'm Fordham, I'm feeling pretty decent of where I'm at through the non-conference schedule.
0: I feel like you hit a lot of great points there, Jacob. I think Fordham is almost certainly going to wind up being an 8-9 team. I don't think it really matters where they finish because it's the same game anyway, um, but I feel like that is that is kind of their their sweet spot right now. Fordham is definitely a team that is maybe a little ahead of schedule, but they still have a lot of building left to do. Um, you know that you look at who they've beaten; they're zero and three against the top one hundred. They're three and four against everybody else. That's about what you'd expect with this team and where they're at. Um, and I'm pretty comfortable saying that you know next year we can expect you know quite a bit more out of this team. But I think right now where they are, I think, you know, the eight, nine spots, probably where they're going to wind up. They'll probably end up ahead of Loyola Chicago. Um, We'll probably stay ahead of Duquesne. But um, I think that's, you know, I think we we're all in agreement with where we think Fordham is right now. So we're going to go ahead and move on to number 11, Duquesne, who's kind of in a bit of an opposite position from Fordham. Dan Burnt has been around at Duquesne since 2014. Um, his first seven years, they had at least 18 wins every single season. Five of the first seven years, they had 20-plus wins. And then COVID hit, and everything fell off the rails. During the COVID season, they managed just five wins. The following year, they had 11 wins. Last year, they recovered quite a bit, had a nice 9-12 and season, went 500. Um but this kind of feels like a make-or-break year for Dan Burton in his tenure at Duquesne. I, I, I'm seeing very emphatic nodding here. Um, and also just from, from Duquesne folks I've also talked to. I mean, they I, I think Dan Burton tried to set himself up for a little bit of success. The strength of the schedule is pretty darn weak. It's 313. The opponent's success is 317. Their best win is 122 Kent State. They beat Pitt, but that's not a super sexy win. Um, they lost pretty bad to... Two sixty, little Arkansas Little Rock. Um, you know, none of their stats are gonna really jump off the page at you. They're three thirteen in the country and shooting free throws. They're shooting just sixty three percent. They're three hundred twenty third in in three point defense. I mean, a lot of these things just. I worry that Dan Burt's just kind of been punching all the wrong buttons recently, um, which is a shame because the Atlantic Ten is better when Duquesne is better. And it's not to write this season off because they have a lot of time to still turn this thing around, but this is a fine line for Duquesne right now that they have to end up on the right side of, or this could be the end of the line for Dan Bart.
1: Yeah, no, I don't disagree with you, Daniel, at all. I'm 100% agreeing with you. I mean, especially with Duquesne having brought back pieces like Megan McConnell, um, Anna Towson, and also Precious Johnson and Tess Myers having those big four pieces back and not losing many people and also bringing in a transfer from Indiana. I believe, I think, I forgot who it was, but bringing in that transfer from Indiana should have helped out, like, greatly, which is Keandra Brown. Like, I feel like the pieces haven't meshed together, and there's stuff that could be going on behind the scenes that we aren't seeing in the media as much as you may think so there could be that like there could be some stuff that the team isn't agreeing on that like stuff isn't gelling correctly as they were expecting and kind of seeing them at like 500 going into like the biggest part of conference play and having a win already over Fordham actually in overtime funny enough um that win didn't seem very very like confident for me like I didn't feel like it was a confident win I feel like that one could have been anybody's at any point. It could have even been UMass's if UMass like suddenly made a random appearance just based off how these two teams had actually played. So really, this Duquesne team is actually making me a little concerned about what they're going to be like in conference play, especially since they're opening up against Dayton. You never know what can happen. And these are both two teams that have already played in conference too, so... They only have 17 games left before we even start conference play up. So you never know.
2: My question for Duquesne is what is the difference between you and a Richmond and a Davidson and a St. Joe's, the teams at the top of the list right now who had most of their players returning? What is that difference? Because I don't know, but Duquesne could have been one of those teams and they aren't, at least not right now. Now, who knows how things will shake out in a 10 play, but they didn't perform like it in non-conference action. Why? I don't know. But if they don't fix it, it's a problem. We're all on the same page with what needs to happen for Duquesne, and this is the the big Final 17 games for them. They have to find a way. They've got one of the best, most all-around players in Megan McConnell, who else is going to step up behind them? Is Tess Meyers going to make a larger jump in terms of scoring the basketball? She hasn't been quite as productive as we've thought. The team needs to gel together. They've had enough time together. It hasn't happened yet, and time is starting to run out of their hourglass. And make it or break it. You said it right off the beginning, Daniel. That is The story for Duquesne here in these final 17 conference games for them, it is make it or break it time. We'll see what happens.
0: And to your point about what is the difference between Duquesne and the upper echelon teams that have had a number of returners, the very much same applies to GW, the number 12 team in our rankings today. They're the only team down here that is above 500, um, but at what cost? Um, There's not a whole lot that I can say about GW that longtime listeners of this show have not heard me talking about already. GW extended Caroline McCombs prior to this season, which was not known to us at the time. They announced it once the season started. Um, we don't know how long the term is because GW is a private school and that information is not foiable. But the fact remains GW extended Carolyn McCombs because she interviewed for the pit job last year. This is where we're at now. G w as they have been for a number of years, is an elite defensive team. They're eighth in the country in defense. They allow only fifty one points a game. Their offense is putrid. I love this team with my whole heart. I have watched this team for twenty five seasons. I am twenty four years old. I was born in November. sir, I was born in September. I started going to games in November of nineteen ninety nine This is my relationship with G w. This is how deep it runs. This is the worst offensive team and offensive run stretch of teams that I have seen in my lifetime of GW women's basketball. It is very frustrating to watch because the talent is there. And very much like with Duquesne, what is the difference between this GW team and the Richmond's and St. Joe's teams that we have seen above us? Right. Like they have continuity. They have everybody back. They have Naya Robertson. They kept her for another year. She easily could transfer up to a par five and be possibly become a WNBA lottery pick. I mean, not necessarily lottery, but she has that level of potential and yet GW just can't figure it out. They have one win above a net team that is better than 200. That's Manhattan on the road. Their second best win is 267 Howard. Their strength of schedule is 301 and I mean, you look at their offense, they're 275th in the country, and it's probably only going to go down from here. I don't want to spend too much time harping on GW. I've talked about this team a lot over the years. I don't feel like there's much more to add. Um, This team is what it is. They are great defensively. They cannot score the ball. And I'd love to be wrong about them, but I feel like this is where we're at, and I don't see it changing, considering this is what the future looks like.
1: I do just want to say this, just kind of... To take away from the rose-tinted glasses, again, Daniel, I 100% agree with you. Please know this. They concerned me a lot, especially with how they played against Hampton at home. They should not have played that horrifically.
0: Bottom five team in the country, Hampton.
1: Yes. Hampton, to my knowledge, still has not won a game. So, and I'm looking at it, they have not won a game. This season still. Stone they had a close game at one point against Stonehill, where it shouldn't have been a close game and they finally pulled away. But the fact that it's just like these two teams, which are bottom five teams in the nation, that they like struggle to get over the finish line in one of these two games, is very concerning for me. So that's just my input on this. Um I've I know a lot of us were expecting GW to kind of be up towards the top. And well, with their new name change of the revolutionaries, you never know what can really happen in a revolution, especially um, with the minute woman involved, if you want to think of it that way. Um, So if no one else has anything going for GW, Jacob, I feel like you may. But if not, we can move along.
2: I loved your segue. I'll quickly touch on GW, which is I want to see more from Mywa Taiwo. Last year, she averaged eight points, 10 rebounds a game. This year, it's four points and five and a half rebounds per game. Yes, Nia Robertson has the big splashy shots, but last year, I felt like GW kind of went around Taiwo a bit more, and this year, she hasn't done enough. Maybe she's the veteran player that can help elevate this offense. I want to see more for her, but I'm gonna pretend that was all in parentheses. That way, your excellent segue goes right into UMass perfectly.
1: Well, you've heard it from the revo- about the revolutionaries. Now we got to go from the Revolutionary War over to the lovely Minute Woman of UMass. Um, so, coming from the person who's probably seen the most UMass games in person, live, and everything, and Jacob has probably watched a lot too, as he is an alum of. The lovely UMass Amherst and all of that. UMass is also going through a coaching change right now. Only retained three players from the year before. But the thing is, the coaching change wasn't that big because it was actually a coach from in the program. Michael Fuller took over for Tory Verdi, who's now at Pitt. So this team, I will just say this. They are still a new team. They are finally getting over the injury bug. From what I've heard Every single player should be available come um, December 30th. Um, Mackenzie Jones should hopefully be making her debut soon, but she has been available. But then there's been like, obviously there's been hiccups with injuries and everything. But this Middle Woman team was dealt a tournament, like a returning championship team like Dayton was last year. So I'm not overly concerned. I'm just grateful to see that they actually did pull off two wins and they were wins that They should have won UMass Lowell and against St. Peter's. So both games, obviously, very important to have won. But I feel like they could have won an an additional game against Northeastern. But that just came down to the wire with how things played out and everything. So I feel like it could have gone everywhere. But honestly, I feel like this team, in order to really be successful, they need to work together as a team. They need to not let themselves dig themselves into a hole early. They need to come out in the first quarter shooting. When they come out of the first quarter with a lead, I believe they've won. Jacob, I remember you posting something like that, so I know you know that stat for sure. But they need to also limit turnovers, play better in transition defense, and they also need to make baskets and stay out of foul trouble. I need to make sure they're healthy going into conference play as conference play can get brutal and there's short turnarounds as well. But I mean, this is a brand new team. There are 10 new players on this team, four freshmen, one of which is a walk-on, and I believe six players from the transfer portal. And I will just say this, there's two returning players that I like to highlight for our players to watch, as well as a freshman and one of our lovely transfer students. Stephanie Kalasia has picked up Right where Sam Breen left off, I feel like she's done amazing with taking, like, those shots that are needed and also being able to actually transition from playing on the wing into being actual a post player. When she's bent, she's more of a guard. Um, Kristen Williams has done a great job into stepping into playing more of your, like, point guard or, like, a shooting guard when it's needed. And she's done a great job of taking, like, a heavier load when she needs to. But the player that surprised me the most, who's actually won a co- rookie player, of the rookie of the week in the conference is Lily Talulai. She has been essential when it comes to some of these games, especially when you need the height. Um, And it's just going to be like you really need that like to like get it. And like you need to make sure your bigs are working at full cylinders, but I'm kind of seeing some glimmers of a former minute woman, Destiny Philoxy, and Alexia Rose for the two games that we've seen her play. So she doesn't like give the full defensive outlook of Destiny, but she's giving like those more offensive plays from what I've seen in person from Alex from Alexia Rose and how she's played. But Jacob, I want to hear your side of this because you're also a big UMass guy and I know you've probably seen something that I'm not.
2: Well, I think you make very good points, Kaylee. In terms of UMass's program as a whole, under first-year head coach Mike Leffler, number one, it's going to take time. I think they have some important pillars. Stephanie Kuleja, she's been great. I think that is huge to know she can play that position successfully. That's a huge stepping stone for the program under Mike Leffler. I think you mentioned Lily Togale. She is an excellent player with a lot of potential as well. Once she learns how fouls are called over here in America, she'll be even better because foul trouble has been an issue and that isn't a big secret right there. And it'll come with time. Cheneye Odenabo has been an excellent find as well. I think she, Taulale, Kuleja, three great building blocks to have. You might notice those are all post players though. My second point for UMass, they need more from their guards. It has been a struggle for running the offense, getting points, getting assists. The guards haven't contributed quite to the level that a team needs. Um, Christian Williams has scored the basketball great. She needs more support at the guard position. And I also think UMass needs more from their graduate transfer captains. in Tori Hajduk, former GW Atlantic 10 player, and Bree Bellamy, the two of them were brought in, high expectations, one-year players. They haven't contributed enough. And if UMass wants to be successful and wants to win more than two conference games, they need more from their veteran leaders. Bellamy and High Duke know how to play collegiate basketball. They know how to succeed in it. Time to elevate your game. That's what UMass is hoping. We'll see what happens, but I think the program's still in pretty good shape For many years down the line.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you, Jacob. And I just want to add one, like a few things quickly, because you just reminded me of so many different things that I just thought of. Um, I feel that, yes, there's some guard play that needs to be worked on, but there's one player that we haven't mentioned from our returning trio, Lily Ferguson. This is really, truly the most playing time she has gotten at the collegiate level this season, considering as a freshman she did not play much. And she... This is really her rookie season, is how I how I want to put it, but unfortunately, the A10 won't put it as that just because she's a sophomore and played last year. But Lily Ferguson at times has shown hot streaks of being able to contribute to the team when it's needed, and like I've seen her be a little more vocal when it's needed too. And also, Dallas Pierce has done a good job as well as stepping into bigger positions when she's needed. But sometimes those guards can't always help out. But Cheneye Odenegbo is going to be a huge, huge piece getting into conference play to give more depth at the post. The 6'5 center freshman from Massachusetts has done a great job from what I have seen. I am really impressed with her play. And honestly, if you have Lily Tallulah, Steph Kalesia and Cheneye in there, I feel like you have a strong Post and like guard depth, because Steph can still play at that guard position if you have enough healthy post players. It just all depends on how you really want to look at it. But that's enough about the lovely minute woman. Um, we're gonna start going exploring for the LaSalle Explorers.
0: All right. So first of our final two teams of the night is we're getting towards the end of our, our show tonight. So LaSalle. As much as I hate to say it, this is also probably a make or break year for Mount McGilvery, um, which is really sad to me because he is truly one of the nicest guys in this league. He, if you hear him talk about the big five, there is nobody who loves the big five more than Mount McGilvery. When I told him my mom played Big Five ball at Penn back in the day, he was he was over the moon about that. He thought that was the greatest thing. Unfortunately, just the it's never materialized for him. And I, I know what LaSalle is not an easy place to win. He's 51 and 78 in his career at LaSalle last year. I feel like really was a big issue for them. They were picked to, to finish second and they finished eighth and then got upset by Mason in the first round. Um, And they also only probably were in that position because they got one less game to play. Cause they had a COVID cancellation last season. So they finished eight and seven while Mason was eight and eight, but that's beside the point. Um LaSalle this year is really not good. Um their strength of schedule is three thirty-two, their opponent success is three thirty-five. Their three wins are against two eighty five Coppin State, three oh five American, and three thirty eight Ryder. Um their defense is not good. It's three hundred and twenty second in the country. The scoring margin's bad. It's 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 a tough scene for LaSalle. I I want to say the hope for the future is they're finally getting Goal Arena renovated, and that may be helpful for bringing in talent in to the future. But boy, for this season, it's it's kind of looking bleak for the Explorers.
2: It is looking bleak, and however, I don't know if it's make it or break it for McGilvery because of the fact of how much roster turnover the team had. They had such a core last year—the Jacobs sisters, all three of them—and They didn't get it done last season. It kind of felt like, okay, maybe this past off season was the time if you want to change directions, but they didn't choose to go that route in terms of the coaching staff. Well, maybe he gets another year to see it out or another two years with this new group of players. I don't know if they want another big restart like they've had this past off season. So Kayla Sproul, she was the other one who left LaSalle. And so you lose those four players, but you keep the head coach, maybe you give him another year or two. But either way, yes, they are not a good basketball team this year.
1: Yeah, no, I totally don't disagree with anything that you have said. Um, one thing I do just want to mention is LaSalle, in order to have a chance of staying out of the pillow fight, which honestly they're not going to get out of the pillow fight, if I'm going to be honest with you, they need what they need to do to be more successful in conference play is they need to limit turnovers be able to rebound the ball more and also to be able to make more shots and also make three throws when it gets down to crunch time. I mean, I I've looked at glimmers of them in their Villanova game and it just did not look, it did not look like they had had all the pieces there. And I feel like maybe the Jacob sisters all leaving for greener pastures kind of maybe hurt them in the off season, but you never know what's going to come your way, especially when you're the Bonaventure Bonnie. So with that, we now have hit our final team for covering tonight. Um, the lovely St. Bonaventure Bonnies, who now actually have gone through three, I will say two coaching changes, probably within the mix of two seasons with Jesse Fleming getting hired midway through, fired midway through the season and then having a new coach step in for him for the remaining of the season. But they're bringing back a very familiar face to this Bonnie's program. They're bringing back John, uh, Jim Crowley, who had probably the best stint in Bonaventure history for the Bonnies on the women's side, outside of Mark Schmidt, of course, on the men's. But again, men don't matter tonight because this is all about the women's. This is the Women's Basketball Podcast. Um, but anyway, this team is going to be going through a lot of growing pains. They have a very small roster this year. I believe their roster is like only a ten players, maybe smaller. Yeah, ten players. So, if that is gonna be, um, it's kind of gonna be an interesting team for them. I haven't been able to see much of them, um, just be just based off of what I've seen. But this Bonaventure team needs to be able to pull together wins when it's needed, as well as just being able to like really limit their turnovers and grab rebounds and like get some more of their baskets, like make more baskets. That's all I got really based off of what I've just read off of like the general box score, which is what I said about LaSalle too, if I'm gonna be honest with you. But Mr. Daniel can give us a better idea.
0: Yeah, I mean the I I think the Bonnies of anyone in the pillow fight right now probably has the best future. I, I think Jim Crowley's going to build this program back up. I mean he got him to a sweet sixteen years ago um their losses are bad and they're many they lost to 288 niagara 270 binghamton 243 buffalo 228 colgate 226 canisius they have five losses to teams that are 225 or lower only one of those losses was single digits they're 303rd in offense in the country they're 330th in assists in the country and they're 337th in blocks there's not a lot that this team does great on paper they're a very together team because they have to be because their roster is 10 players. Um, that I think is the smallest roster I've ever seen start a season. I've seen teams end with fewer than that, but to start is that raised eyebrows. Um,
1: but smallest, it's year one. Smallest team that I've seen is UMass when Tori Verdi first started. Yeah. Actually, when he <laughs> had to recruit women's <laughs> soccer players to play for him, I believe. Yeah. But anyway, back to the Bonnies, if Daniel has any more. Uh,
0: th- that, that was kind of all I had. Their best win is 267 Youngstown State, which is the Penguins. That's a great name. That's, that's <laughs> all I got. We have made it through 15 teams tonight, folks. Thank you for sticking with us. We got one more segment for you. We're going to turn it over to Kaylee to introduce it.
1: Yeah, so this last segment is I want to hear some hot takes from you guys. I mean, I have a big old list here, but I'll, and I'll so gladly start us off. Jacob have some a few ready for us, but – um, mine include, well, I feel like the top five, this is in no order, please know this no order at all. I feel like the top five is going to consist of St. Joe's, BCU, Richmond, George Mason, and Davidson. And then Rody, I've right, right now I'm not fully confident on Rody. I'm going to say Rhodey is going to be middle of the pack. So I'm saying seven or eight. And I feel like their base basement this year is eight, and their ceiling is number three right now. With where where they stand is how I feel, but then also my pillow f- the pillow fight. All of these teams have been towards the top in my opinion, with the exception of Loyola in the past few years. UMass, Duquesne, George Washington, LaSalle, Saint Louis, Fordham, and Loyola Chicago, all fighting in that pillow fight. So that's where I currently stand with it. But UMass could also pull off some surprising wins that we don't expect. Like they could pull off a random win against, gee, I don't know, a George Mason that we're not expecting, or a or another win like a lovely um, St. Louis. I'm not going to go any higher than that. But George Mason George Mason's at home this year. There's not going to be any birdie birds, unfortunately. But Jacob, what do you have for some hot takes?
2: Hot take number one is that there, after a lot of coaching turnover the last couple of years, there will only be one head coaching change in the Atlantic 10. I guess that's not a hot take. That's more just common sense. But still, there will only be one head coaching change at the end of the year. I'll leave that open. Maybe that's any school. Who knows? Uh, Hot take number two is that Rhode Island will finish second in the conference behind Davidson. I know, Kaylee, you just said that their ceiling was three. I think they're two. I thought of putting St. Louis up near the top as well. But yeah, Rhodey will be number two. And I learned last year, it was my first big lesson, that non-conference records, non-conference power rankings, they don't mean that much. I got tricked badly with them last year. I think some of the teams at the very top, maybe Richmond or so, maybe George Mason, I don't know, let's see yet. Might not be double by teams, but Rhodey's number two in the conference. That's my hot take.
1: And I'm going to, I'm sorry. I'm a UMass fan through and through. Boo, Rhodey. I am sorry. Boo, Rhodey. I do not like Rhodey. You were very lucky. I did not start bashing him as bad as I had initially thought. But that's just because I've grown up, born and raised in the maroon and red, uh, maroon and white. So. I just believe the maroon and White. That's just me personally, but anyway, to end us off for the night, Daniel, what do you got for us? All
0: right, I got 3 for us. Um, my first one is I think Dayton is in the top 8. I think Dayton's going to find a way to to make their way into the top 8. It's going to be a weird season. Um, but I and I, and my second one, kind of in a similar vein, I think Loyola Chicago finds a way to avoid the pillow fight. I I I I I kind of like what I'm seeing from them. I don't know, maybe just fools gold from watching them play Iowa, but I like where they're at right now. Um, my third hot take. This is not a surprise to anybody who knows me, but um, I, I I have an annual tradition that I do with Natalie where um well like I'll break down where I think Mason's gonna finish and I'll break down each game and I'll come up with that with a record that I think they're gonna finish that's fee- semi feasible. This year I got 12 and six for conference play, that would get them to 20 21 wins. My goal for George Mason is 20 win season and I think it's very feasible. But I think 12 and 6 gets Mason top 4. So double by Mason in Henrico. I'm going to be at the Women's A10 tournament this year. First time I will be doing the full tournament as media. Um I've done it before for a uh, couple days here and there but first time I'll be doing the whole thing as media so I'm really excited. Um and very much just looking forward to a wonderful conference season. So that will wrap it up here for us on the 810 Talk podcast tonight. Make sure you keep checking us out. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, wherever it may be. Make sure to keep checking us out on 810talk.com for updates on your favorite Fifteen uh, teams on both the men's and women's side of college basketball. Make sure you follow us at A10 Talk on Twitter. We've got updates coming to you guys every single day, every single game. We've, you can also find each of us on Twitter. We are giving you guys the very best coverage of A10 women's basketball out there. And so for Kaylee Godek, Jacob Bunch, Zach Austin, I'm Daniel Frank. This has been the A10 Talk podcast. We'll see you guys next time.